You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. The pure coal plays are trading at a huge, huge discount to their inherent values. The price to earning tends to be about 1.5 to 2 for these companies, which means that you are getting as much as 50% of the share price in cash and earnings after tax earning every year. Hey guys, this is Brian Lenny of Mining Stock Education and Junior Stock Review. Today with me, I have Giant Bandari of Anarcho Capital. Giant, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, I wanted to start off, you know, over the last year and a half, we've seen a number of notable M&A deals across the sector and even deals that were proposed that didn't kind of follow through. Um, with equity prices so low, especially maybe in the gold sector, there's this, this uh, difference in, in, in valuations. Um, I'm, my question for you is, why don't we see a rush for this, especially the senior mining companies, to go out there and buy the best of the best projects that are out there? Uh, well, thanks for having me on, uh, Brian. Uh, well, it's very simple. A lot of projects which look good on paper are actually not good projects. Uh, and or they are overinflated uh, uh, priced projects today. Uh, and that is the reason why there has not been a rush to buy these projects. Now, remember, Brian, uh, gold mining companies as a sector uh, have historically been overpriced. They, they trade for a very high multiple of their NPV. They actually trade a sort of NPV calculated at 0% discount rate using a high gold price. I mean, that's outrageous. And it, so for them, it makes a lot of sense to uh, create value by buying good projects that are selling cheaply. But that isn't usually the case, uh, and that is why it has not been happening. But having said that, M&A activities are increasingly picking up pace, and this will continue in 2023. What do you personally think about the deals that we have seen and even the proposed deals? Um, you know, B2 goes out and takes out Sabina. Uh, we have the proposed deal with Glencore and Tech. Do you see any commonalities in the stuff that is happening? Yes, uh, because again, as I said, uh, the, the gold mining companies need to acquire other projects. This is what market is asking them to do. The reason why they trade for a higher multiple, they're, they're at a very good valuation because market expects them to go out hunting for new projects and create value that way. These companies can't really create any more value by mining what they already have in hand because that value is already in priced into their share price. So they have to really go out and that is the reason why Sabina got uh, bought out by B2Gold. Uh, now, the case with uh, uh, Glencore and Tech is slightly different, uh, Brian. Uh, the, the, the funny thing is that the, coal, the pure coal plays are trading at a huge, huge discount to their inherent values. Uh, you look for, uh, you know, uh, Peabody Energy or uh, 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 Coronado, uh, West Haven, uh, coal companies, and, you know, they are... The, the valuations are amazing. The price to earning tends to be about 1.5 to 2 for these companies, which means that you are getting as much as 50% of the share price in cash and earnings after tax earning every year. 
And these companies are sitting on billions of dollars of cash. And the reason they are sitting on billions of dollars in cash is because they know that when the time comes, fund managers and banks won't give money to these coal mining companies. So these coal mining companies are trading at a huge discount. Uh, and uh, so if you think through the thinking of Glencore and TechCommentCo, you will understand that they need to get uh, a spin off their gold projects, uh, sorry, coal projects, so that the remaining portfolio is, starts getting valued the right way. Uh, now, Glencore clearly thinks that uh, by uh, doing a merger, they can acquire tech cheaply. Now, I am, um, you know, I follow tech, but not, I'm not an analyst for tech. So I don't know the valuations as such, but these companies are all trading for, it's, you know, even base metal companies are trading for um, uh, P by E of four to seven. So that is where uh, Glencore probably sees a value, which is to merge the two companies and then spin off the collective coal projects into a separate entity. Now, of course, uh, Brian, as you and I know, spinning off coal projects uh, into a new entity isn't going to solve the problem of carbon dioxide emissions, but this is how uh, the, the thinking among the fund managers is uh, today, that they want to uh, not invest in coal mining companies, and that is why uh, a lot of companies that have coal projects in their portfolio are under are undervalued in the uh, public market. Okay. And so, you know, you look at M&A deals and, you know, the stuff that you brought up, you, you know, has, you know, has to do with the business expansion and, and be, being valued at a higher valuation due to, you know, adding ounces in the ground to your balance sheet. Uh, there's a number of other factors that I think could play in. You got, you know, jurisdiction, you know, economics of a specific project, maybe the size, you know, size was a, a in my view anyways, was a big deal last cycle. You know, we saw the mad at the top of the market, in fact, you know, they were going for huge ounces in the ground. Economics was kind of thrown out the window and they just wanted to add to their, their, their coffeeers. Um, so out of all these different factors that are driving or they're out there, do you think there's any specific one, given the environment that we're in today, that the, the companies will look at and say, Hey, you know what? We've got to go for the best economic project, or we've got to diversify. So, Brian, it, it's it's very interesting. I was at a conference last week, and one person mentioned that these days it takes twenty three years on average for a for between finding a project to putting that into production, which means that your you know if if I'm expecting a twenty percent return on my capital. I should get every dollar that I invest today should give me about $50 or more 23 years later to give me a proper return on my investment. So it is absolutely outrageous the time that it now takes to put into production. And the problem with big mining companies is that the only way they can uh, create any uh, perception of value creation is by acquiring big projects. Now, big projects take a very, very long time uh, to get permitted, and they take a long time to get uh, uh, go into production because they have to do all the environmental work, they have to do the permitting work. And remember, all these uh, projects that look all cute and fully um, ready to go into production might still take another five to seven years uh, before they actually go into production. I know projects that were 
about to go into production when I started working in the industry 17 years back, and they're still sitting on the shelf um, and is still ready to go into production. So that's the, the, the issue with the market. Now, ideally, if given a choice, I actually, unlike a lot of other people, prefer small projects because small projects need, uh, are usually not um, uh, followed by the market. They tend to trade at a cheap valuation. Uh, they, uh, the permitting is usually easier. Uh, and because you are going to be investing a lower amount of capex, so you might be in a position to use cap uh, capital equipment in, in the nearby areas, you can actually manage risks very well. Of course, the problem is that such projects should actually be private companies, not public entities, because public entities entail uh, corporate expenses of about, uh, let's say, five to $10 million a year. So and that actually destroys the economics of a small project. So, you know, we are uh, really in, in a, because of the permitting environment, we are really uh, the, in, between a rock and a hard place today because big projects take forever to go into production, which means that they really don't have on a discounted cash flow basis much value for me today. Um, and uh, it is only big companies that they think they can put those projects into production, would be interested. But also remember, big companies are interested in projects whose permitting risks have been lowered significantly by the current management. Because permitting risks actually increase once the projects go into the hands of the major, because the bureaucrats then uh, want uh, more, more work done, the local uh, the natives want uh, more money for for the, those projects. So this is a very difficult process and the market does not give you enough returns for what entails in bringing these projects into production. So if I'm understanding you correctly, the, the more de-risked a project is, the more attractive it is to a, a major mining company. There, therefore, uh, would it be on the production side? So we're almost looking at, you know, the merging of equals or... Uh, something that's already in production, those would be at the top of your list in terms of companies that are most likely to be taken over. Is that correct? Well, the yes and no, because also those once you are in production and once you are actually churning out money, two things happen. The managements that control that uh, entity does not want to get acquired because they are burning good salary at this point of time. Uh, the second thing is that risks are significantly lower by this time which means that the market valuations tend to pick up quite a bit. So these two things happen. Uh, you know, I saw a merger last year, uh, Brian, and it was uh, very roughly a merger of, of uh, a total merged entity was maybe about $400 billion. But the ex the management of the a company that got, got acquired got paid, believe me or not, $26 million in severance. Now that's absolutely crazy, uh, but uh, but you know th this is where the, the expe high expectations of the managements uh, come into being. Uh, uh, and that is why, uh, you know, Brian, we have talked about this many times in the past. We really like managements uh, that have a skin in the game, managements that, uh, that are honest, ethical, and uh, uh, business savvy. Absolutely. Um, you know, whether it's sanctions, war, recessions, you know, cost of energy, all these have an effect on the supply chain. And I think one of the big 
uh, topics that's out there right now is security of supply. So in your view, um, does security of supply of critical mil- minerals moving forward, does it become a bigger issue moving forward? Uh, I, I don't think so, Brian. You know, I have been in the industry for 17 years. Uh, and what I have, uh, 17 years back, people were talking about peak oil, peak uranium. Uranium went up to $150 a pound. Uh, uh, oil was 120 of those days, nomin- in nominal terms, which is more than $150 today. So, you know, all these, and then there was a huge uh, euphoria about uh, graphene and uh, REEs at different points of time. Copper traded at about $4 17 years back, which in nominal terms mean about $6 today. Uh, and uh, the expectation those days was, uh, and everyone was showing exactly the same slides to us, which was that. Uh, there would be falling supplies and increasing uh, demand, and th- there would be a massive deficit within the next few years. And that was 17 years back. And they still show exactly the same slides to me today, with the dates changed. Um, uh, the, the reality, Brian, is that uh, people who are consumers of these commodities um, have a lot of options to protect their future supplies. Uh, for example, there are you can do future contracts of uh, base metals on LME or other exchanges. Uh, or if you are into if you have demand for lithium or uh, uh, commodities that are uh, that are difficult to trade uh, openly in the market, you would invest in project relevant projects to do with those commodities. So uh, you know, uh, for a car manufacturer. Um, the, the amount of copper that goes into his car uh, or amount of lithium that, that goes into his car is relatively uh, uh, insignificant, although it's a huge amount of commodity overall that goes in. But so so he's not going to take the risk of having, having his car not being able to go on the road just because he lacks access to lithium or copper. So, uh, you know, these are very liquid commodities. They, they trade well. Um, and uh, he, he, he may ensures that he has a supply coming online in the future. Um, I was in a pro conference in uh, Shanghai a few years back, and you know there was a, there were a lot of companies who were investing in lithium companies to protect the the future requirements of lithium for themselves. So again, I'm not necessarily too euphoric about uh, uh, prices as such. Uh, I think uh, uh, there is a huge amount of elasticity in terms of uh, demand and supply. If the sub- demand goes up, the supply, uh, uh, the marginal um, uh, pro- uh, my- ore that is with mines comes into play. Marginal mines start coming into play. So uh, th- there is a dampening effect on rapid increase in prices of any commodities. And if a commodity price increases rapidly, then actually the end product becomes expensive and then de- demand for those products fall. So, you know, market has its value. Market is very complicated. It's a long chain of supply and demand and the market takes care of all those things. Now, Brian, just to conclude this thing, this does not mean that there's a huge amount of volatility in the market. Copper goes up, uh, you know, Many uh, commodities go up from uh, by 50% and fall back by 50%. This happens all the time. But 
sitting here today, I can't predict looking into tomorrow what would happen. Uh, and so, um, and and just the last thing, uh, Brian, a lot of commodity traders, if you talk with them, they actually don't want to sit on any of their in uh, commodity investments overnight. They hedge their commodity a trade right away. Uh, so if they buy from some place, they sell the futures of that commodity elsewhere right away to balance, to hedge themselves against any commodity price risk. So one has to be very careful about being too euphoric about the future of any of the commodity prices. So Zoltan Bozar uh, wrote, investors are not particularly well-trained to ge deal with geopolitical risk because for generations, geopolitics didn't matter. Anyone who traded securities or ran a portfolio since the end of World War II did so in a cocoon of a unipolar world order. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Brian. This is mind-boggling. Uh, people simply don't understand other uh, jurisdictions, and I have seen this again and again. Um, and also the media and politicians lie to you nonstop on both the sides. So the end result is that people don't really understand what's happening in other jurisdictions. And when they go traveling to other ju jurisdictions, they go for the beaches and they have fun in other jurisdictions or they uh, experience other jurisdictions with tainted uh, uh, through tainted glasses. So uh, people's perception of other cultures and other jurisdictions is very flawed and very skewed. Uh, and that leads to a massive, massive amount of mal malinvestment. Now, for example, look at Argentina. Argentina consistently fails to repay its foreign loans. And foreigners consistently, and these are big fund managers giving billions of dollars to Argentina. They keep giving money to Argentina and then they lose money again. So uh, even at the level of um, fund managers who are playing with tens of billions of dollars, they make massively erroneous conclusions about other jurisdictions uh, and they like to think that uh, everything is going to just continue to improve step by step. And companies want people to think that way because they want to attract money. Politicians want to think that way because it helps them with their politicking. So, you know, the media likes it. So this this is just uh, 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 the, the, the educational institution, the media, the politicians, the, the, the fund managers don't really understand it. And if they understand it, they don't pass it on to you properly. So yes, there's a massive amount of misunderstanding about uh, jurisdictions. As in terms of investors, um, would you suggest not even attempting then to try to understand let's say another jurisdiction or culture is is that the the most risk effective way to go about it or or if you do want to attempt to understand and make a conclusion on it um what is the best way to know if you have a, a good handle on a jurisdiction or a culture uh, well uh, brian this is what i consistently do i uh, i when i go to a site visit i uh, take my suit off and i put on dirty clothes and i walk the streets i go to coffee shops i go to buy bottled water from grocery stores i i eat out where the normal guy there eats out at uh, that is where you start to understand the local culture if you always fly business class into where you are going to and stay in five-star hotels mm -hmm. 
Zurich is going to look no different from uh, Johannesburg to you. You won't really understand the cultural differences between the two places. Uh, now, uh, as an investor, uh, if you are uh, really trying to invest uh, in a balanced way, you have no other way out, uh, particularly for people investing in commodities, to go out and understand how other jurisdictions uh, uh, operate. So, uh, uh, you know, my, uh, and but uh, absolutely, Brian, if you don't understand a jurisdiction, avoid it. Just because you can buy a share with a with a project in Congo online on TSX, and now you are a part owner of that project in Congo, just because that that ownership of shares looks liquid for now, does not mean your investment is safe because you really, at the end of the day, have to understand what's happening in Congo. Uh, and if you don't, avoid investing in it because you will get fooled. Um, Look at it this way, Brian. In the last 17 years of my career in the mining industry, the venture exchange has fallen in real terms, in nominal terms by about 80%, in real terms by about 85%. So $100 that you invested 17 years back is now worth only $15, when it should have been worth about $500 or more if I accounted for the kind of returns I expect from my investment. So uh, what I currently have as a venture exchange is only about uh, 10 percent, you know, uh, uh, a fraction, two or three percent of what I expected it to be by this point of time. So most people lose money because they ignore jurisdictional risks. They ignore the risks to do with permitting, to do with geology. They overtrust the management. And most importantly, uh, Brian, they get swayed by greed. Let not be let not greed be on the driving seat. Uh, seat. Uh, do a proper analysis. Understand these projects. Given time uh, that you would to uh, when you when you go to buy any other property. If you want to buy a hundred thousand dollar house, you will spend time understanding it. So if you're trying to invest a hundred thousand dollar in a project, you're actually owning a fractional part of that company or and a project. So you should put in your time and effort to understand that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, over the last probably two months, you know, regional bank failures in the U.S. has become a huge topic. Um, at the moment, in your view, do you see U.S. bank failures? Um, are, do they represent the biggest risk to investors right now? <laughs> so, Brian, I started investing in Chinese banks uh, about four or five years, six years back. And I have done extremely well. Uh, in these in these months, Chinese banks have grown in value very nicely. And over these five, six years, these Chinese banks have given me dividend yield of about 10% a year. So, uh, you know, we, you know, Kyle Bass kind of people have been uh, complaining about China for at least a decade or two decades. Uh, the reality is China has grown very nicely all these days and their banks have provided me better returns than Western banks have. Uh, well, who knows, uh, Brian, what is to come in the future? People who understand how the psych... You know, at the end of the day, you are just uh, flipping paper from here to there. Um, and you can't really take cash outs out of the banking system anyway because if you want to take more than $10,000 out of the banking system, they won't give it to you. You might have $10 million in, in the bank account. 
So the best you can do is to move it to another bank. So it's all about public perception, which bank people think will stay stable. And that's where they move, they will move their money to. And this is a vicious cycle. And this is exactly what happened to <coughs> some of these banks. People just thought that uh, because of social media and grapevine peop rumors, people fell, uh, people started removing their money. And every single bank, because this is the way the fiat currency based um, banking system works today is that uh, if there is a run on bank, there is a vicious cycle sets in and they will collapse. Uh, but because you can't take cash out, uh, some of the major banks will survive. Uh, but uh, very likely, uh, smaller banks will suffer unless they have a strong support of local people. So if Warren Buffett likes his regional bank and supports that bank with cash and does not take cash out of the bank, it will still do extremely well. Uh, so, but again, it's very unpredictable because that's the kind of fiat system we have today. Yeah, in your view, you know, when we talk about risk, and we'll talk about the U.S. bank failures as a known risk. You know, like I said, like the the media has been really good about covering it. You know, they they love to propagate fear. And uh, is it too simplistic to say because the risk is known that it's less risky? I, I think yes and no because a lot of people don't really understand the risk. They they think that uh, Biden and uh, Kamala Harris will take care of all the problems. They think that they have these banks. Uh, the depositors have already been covered in all these three banks that have failed. So eventually they will be covered. So they shouldn't really bother. Um, so th there's a moral hazard in this because uh, the governments have encouraged that moral hazard. And also remember, just because Americans are uh, more open-minded about uh, letting their banks fail does not mean that their banks are mo more vulnerable than the banks elsewhere. Uh, my guess is that banks elsewhere are more vulnerable than American banks. Americans let the the, the pressure wall valve work uh, once in a while. Most other countries never let that happen. So, uh, uh, you know, the banking system is in a crisis all over the world, uh, uh, in or at least in most parts of the world. Uh, and I think uh, the, the the people really have a problem with the fiat currency. It's a, it's a, it's 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 a it's um, it has no backing, and that is where uh, my interest in gold, uh, precious metals, and investments come from because. I hate owning that uh, fiat currency. It loses its value by now five to six percent every year. Uh, plus, um, it can be frozen by banks, and you know all kinds of things can happen. Uh, and I want to buy real stuff uh, in uh, with that money. You, one of the other prevailing themes that's I, it maybe it, it was already coming, but I think with these bank failures, it's again gone to another level. And mixed in with what's happening with the BRIC nations and the the move to maybe the Petrary One, um, people are calling for you know the end of the USD. And so my question for you is: Is the USD's fall from grace imminent, or is it just inevitable? Well, uh, uh, so Brian, you know we can complain all uh, all we want about the US. It is still the best country on the planet. It's the freest country on the planet. It's the in my uh, you know I love America. It's it's a great place to be in. It has uh, wonderful liberty minded people. Um, 
the US dollar is the reserve currency and will continue to be the reserve currency because the people who back that currency are a special people. It's a special country. Um, the you know uh, recently uh, Russia and India had been negotiating a trade of two billion dollar worth of arms. Uh, and because India wanted to pay in rupees and uh, the, the Russian could not accept it because they don't trust each other. They still, despite that India might not like the US and despite that Russia does not like the US, they still need the mediation of the US dollar to do a trade because they don't trust each other's as currencies. Uh, so US dollar will continue to be the reserve currency. Uh, but that said, US dollar is past its peak. Uh, and the reserve status is getting losing its respect as time goes by. So um, a lot of valuations happen at the margin. Now, um, let's say every year uh, the world was taking more and more of U.S. treasuries, and now if they stop taking more and more of U.S. treasuries, then uh, and and or if they very slowly start selling those U.S. treasuries, those treasuries start to return back to the U.S. So even though U.S. a dollar will stay the reserve currency in the into the foreseeable future, U.S. dollars value will come under pressure because. U.S. dollar cash will is, is returning back to the U.S. and U.S. dollar bonds and treasuries are returning back to the U.S., which means that uh, the 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 U.S. Fed has to um, suck out that this excess cash coming from the rest of the world, and th that uh, or there will be inflation. So uh, you know th they have exploited the U.S. dollar's reserve currency status as much as they could. Uh, those days are gone for sure. Uh, with all the risks that are that we've talked about today and w that are present in the world uh, today, d do any of these risks morph how you participate in the market? Oh, well, you have to be uh, aware of uh, what is uh, happening in the market. You have to force, try to foresee what is coming next. Uh, uh, for example, uh, Brian, I have been I have become increasingly optimistic about the Middle East. Uh, UAE is opening up uh, drastically. I was at a conference where United Arab Emirates sent their team to promote UAE as a mining jurisdiction. Saudi Arabia has been doing a lot of job. They are actually getting a lot of money. Uh, so, uh, you know, you always have to keep your minds open about which jurisdictions are opening up and which jurisdictions are losing their status. For example, um, a lot of Latin American countries are losing their status as prime places to invest money in for mining. Um, Africa probably is, is still at the same place, which means that overall it has it, it has become a better jurisdiction compared to what what is happening elsewhere. So you you really have to understand what is happening in the world uh, constantly. How how currency prices are changing, what new laws are coming, what is happening in Ecuador, what is happening in Colombia, and and uh, and deal with your investments accordingly. Does the, the current environment keep uh, force you to keep more cash in your portfolio, or do, does that remain kind of constant no matter what's going on? Uh, well, uh, but you have to hold cash when you have to hold cash. Uh, if I don't see an opportunity, I don't want to force myself into buying something. But at the same time, uh, holding cash is for sure a very risky thing to do. You are losing about 6% a year in inflation by holding cash. 
And uh, what if your bank account gets frozen? Uh, you know, and these things will come at some point of time, Brian. Uh, and that is why I think uh, people should actually internationalize as well so that uh, no jurisdiction can freeze their account completely. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, you, you always have to keep hunting for value. Uh, and when when the world is demands more cash in its pocket, you can be reasonably sure that um, investment vehicles might be becoming cheaper. Uh, and that is what I think currently is the case. Uh, you know, as I said, coal mining companies are extraordinarily cheap. You can almost blindly invest in coal mining companies and stand to make a profit in them. Uh, and I'm talking about not $100 million companies. I'm talking about companies with billions of dollars of uh, in market capitalization. So, you 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 know when when the market is uh, risk averse, uh, there is a lot of value available in the market. So my cash gets used up uh, quite rapidly in a scenario like that. And hence, Brian, I don't have much cash right now. The gold price is around two thousand dollars an ounce, an excellent price. The equities, on the other hand, have really lagged. Why do you think this is? Uh, well, really look at the profit and loss accounts of uh, gold mining companies. Uh, gold prices might have gone up by 10-15%, but the cost of making that gold goes has gone up by a similar amount of time. Now, I don't monitor all these gold mining companies very closely, but that is my anecdotal experience from having seen some of the uh, financial accounts. Uh, so th here is the problem. People who think there's fridge in buying gold mining companies are fooling themselves because they also should remember that when gold price goes up, the cost of making gold goes up as well. And sometimes, and usually what I've seen is that the cost of making gold goes up faster than the price of uh, price increase in gold. So you have to be very careful. Gold price has done very well and I think gold has a fabulous future. This is the only commodity that I like to speculate in. And the reason is that the market hasn't really absorbed fully the chaos and risk that exists in the market today. Uh, the The system is uh, is in a complete chaos. the The banking system can come to a, a grinding halt, can freeze up uh, uh, because of many things. I mean, there's a full, on the first of June, America might not have enough cash to uh, uh, meet its uh, uh, debt requirements. So, you know, so many things can happen. So many white, the black swans are there. We don't know which one will hit us. So gold has a very good future, but I invest in gold junior mining companies for what I think other might not have seen. And hence, uh, I think that those companies are undervalued based on what they actually have. But apart from that, I don't invest in gold junior companies or gold mining companies in expectation of gold price going up in the future. Um, I read a great quote from Travis Walden. He's the author of Fire in the Sky, and it's regarding human behavior. And he says, I've come to realize that the biggest problem anywhere in the world is that people's perceptions of reality are compulsively filtered through the screening mesh of what they want and do not, do not want to be true. Do you agree in terms of how it relates to the investing world? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, and, and now things have become worse because we live in our echo chambers. We have created echo chambers on social media and elsewhere. We talk with people of our kind around the world. 
So we don't really necessarily go to a pub and talk to a stranger as as often. So we uh, get and and the, all the uh, software, the social media software, uh, give us material that we like to read and follow rather than uh, things that challenge us. So uh, yes, we are conditioned into uh, continuing to believe in what we believe in and. Uh, and and most people dug in their feet when they are provided information that challenges them. Uh, so uh, even if they know that what they know is not the truth, they still want to dig in their feet because dig in their heels because they 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 don't want to challenge their thinking. Uh, and unfortunately, that's what uh, the the world is like. Uh, that also creates a lot of opportunities for the people who have flexible thinking who are prepared to change their thinking. Um, based on changing information, as an investor, I have to stay consistently humble because I you make a lot of mistakes and you have to learn to accept those mistakes and change your decisions at a moment's notice before other people start noticing that information. So, uh, you know, humility is extremely important and it's not worth uh, sticking to something just because we have invested our ego in that uh, belief. Going back to the kind of the the equities and their you know lagging in valuation, you know there's a big difference between the valuations and the developers and exploration companies, and it always kind of surprises me um, that people will pay more or equal amounts for what I call hope versus reality. Um, you see a lot of developers with the same market caps as an exploration company, but the developer has let's say two million ounces in the ground, and the exploration company is looking for two million ounces in the ground. And there'll be the same market cap. Um, so, in your view, is this opportunity? Uh, and if so, what factors do junior developers have to have to escape their discount? God, I mean, it's so difficult to know, Brian, because you know every jurisdiction is different. All uh, the different ounces are different. We don't know uh, which ounces have better value. Uh, we don't know about the permitting uh, situation. And that all these are there are so many factors which give uh, so much noise in uh, in uh, that uh, underpinning what you just said. So uh, you know uh, it's uh, you know you can have exploration companies trading at a higher valuation than development stage companies, but at the same time the market would have realized that the development stage company that is all spruced up to go into production might have some fatal flaw in it by this time. So, uh, and and maybe not everyone know about it, only a minority people might be know about it who would be selling their stocks or short selling those stocks. So there's so many things and, uh, you know, and there are fatal flaws with many projects that look all ready to go into production. I know of a project, uh, I think it's a two or three million ounce project in Canada, with, which looks uh, very high grade, uh, but it's been shitting, sitting on shelf for the last uh, uh, 15, 20 years at least, and uh, never to go into production, but always claimed to be ready to go into production. So, you know, the market recognizes those things eventually. And so, you know, I think if if development stage companies are trading at a huge discount, uh, you really have to dig in to find out whether there's some a fatal flaw with it. And if there's no fatal flaw that you can find, then just buy more. Right. Well, is, so is there a, a time limit? Like I know the cost of capital is, is has been ultra low for the last, 
you know, 10 years. And the so the time value of money is definitely diminished. Yet there is still that time value of money. But when when do you like let's say you can't find that fatal flaw or you don't think there is one, but it's taking forever for the market to recognize that value. When do you personally think, hey, you know what, I've held this company for too long, it's time to move on? Well, Brian, this has been one of my weakest spots. So, um, you know, I have held companies which I think have um, a 400% upside. And I have been, I still own the, that company for the last 15 years, uh, despite that I think, uh, you know, it has gone nowhere. Um, the, the problem is that when I clearly see an upside and because of manage, management stupidities, the upside gets uh, uh, dissipated, gets frittered away. I'm always hoping that some uh, some sense will come into them, or someone better will come into their positions to change uh, change the future of those companies. So I personally own uh, a fair bit of what I would call value traps. Uh, and I really don't fully understand how to deal with those value traps because uh, you know there's value, and then I don't want to sell it today, hoping that, and then it, and then it might go up uh, to meet my expectations after I have sold it. So you know, the, 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 I have done a horrible job with value traps. Uh, it's tough. Um, in terms of investments in the junior resource sector, can you give us a couple companies that are catching your eye right now and you're deploying money into? Well, uh, I so uh, a, a, one company is uh, Montage Gold. It's trading at sixty nine cents. Uh, they just finished a a, a raise at uh, seventy cents. Um, I think it's an extremely good company. They have uh, found new high grade ore, uh, and that high grade should improve significantly improve the economics and in internal rate of return of that pro their company so and it's a large project as well so i'm i'm very happy with uh, montage gold its price hasn't gone uh, up but prices of most companies haven't gone up so i'm 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 patiently sitting on it uh, also remember that uh, there are actually lower permitting risks in most african countries compared to permitting risks in latin american countries or the western world so if you can manage if the management is good, uh, it's, it makes sense to uh, pay attention to African companies. Um, uh, I am very fond of a company, a company with uh, projects in Japan. It's called Irving Resources. It's trading at 91 cents today. I actually just bought uh, today the shares at 93 cents. Um, uh, Aztec Minerals at uh, 31 cents is, has hit some good grades. They are sh uh, small intercepts, so it's uh, still very speculative. But if they hit more of similar uh, grades uh, uh, where they have currently hit, there's a good upside, I think. So th th these are three companies that I can think of. O3 Mining is, is an interesting company, Brian. Uh, I'm. Uh, I own. Uh, I might be one of the largest uh, uh, retail non-institutional shareholder of this company, and this company has gone nowhere. And I'm not sure if this is a value trap or is there a good upside in it. I'm still sitting on it. I like the management mostly. I like the projects, and I can't find a fatal flaw. So I'm sitting on it. But that's another company that I think uh, should have value. Capitalism morality has made a huge impact on my life, and I think it's well worth people's time to explore and, and hopefully one day attend. 
Uh, Capitalism Morality is expanding. You're doing a second conference uh, this year in Calgary. Uh, that's going to be on May 20th. Um, can you give us some color on who will be speaking there and where people can find out more information about the conference? Uh, so the, the the next conference is on the 20th of uh, May in Calgary, and then the, the Vancouver conference returns on the I think it's on the 9th of September, 2023 in Vancouver, downtown. Um, Amy Wax will be speaking. She is the keynote speaker. Um, she has recently been, I think, fired from her position uh, at the University of uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, <clears throat> a fabulous lady. Uh, and uh, I think she she she's someone worth listening to. Maxime Bernier of People's Party of Canada is a speaker. Uh, and uh, I think he should. He's the. He's a great hope for Canada. If Canada wake Canadians wake up, he should be the Prime Minister of Canada. Um, he's a speaking uh, as a keynote speaker. Uh, Adrian Day will be there. Rick Rule will be there. Uh, Jeff Deist will be there. Um, uh, uh, um, J Jason Nutter from Singapore will be speaking about Singapore and the. Uh, the Consular General of Singapore in Canada, Terry Salmon, will be uh, there speaking as well to talk about uh, what Singapore has to offer. Um, we create a forum where we discuss philosophical issues and no question goes un unanswered. So people, speakers get challenged by the audience and these people will hear good and bad things about anything that they talk about, including Singapore. Excellent. Giant, it's been a pleasure and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Brian. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts it might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.